0: Every day, scientists are learning more and more about how human brains work, and how many of us don't fit into the old-fashioned understanding of how brains should work. But a lot of ideas about parenting and familial relationships still need to catch up to the reality of human variation. Neurological differences are natural, profoundly valuable parts of being in a community together, and in being part of a family. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your journey, I am here to explore with you. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today. If you're new here, I'm Danielle Sullivan and I'm your host. Neurodiverging is dedicated to helping neurodiverse folks find the resources we need to live better lives as individuals and to further disability awareness and social justice efforts to improve all of our lives as part of the larger world community. If you're interested in learning more, you can hit the subscribe button to make sure you're notified when there's a new episode and check out Neurodiverging on Patreon. We also have a blog at NeuroDiverging.com, which has a lot of articles that don't make it into podcasts, so you can go check us out there, too. Speaking of Patreon, I want to give a warm thank you to Zach, David, and Teresa, my current patrons. Thank you all so much for supporting this episode of NeuroDiverging. Today's episode is based on a listener question. Jenna wrote in to the email, How do you go about finding a therapist as a neurodivergent person? Are there specific things to look for or avoid? Thank you so much for listening, Jenna, and for sending in your question. I think it's a really great question and one I'm definitely happy to take a whack at. If you are listening and you have specific suggestions for Jenna that I don't cover here, please feel free to email me at neurodiverging.podcast at gmail.com so I can forward them on, or you can leave a comment on the transcript of this episode on neurodiverging.com on the blog post if you're there for her to see. I'll leave the link in the episode notes. I'm going to start off by talking about some general basics about how to find a therapist who's a good fit. And then I'm going to move into talking about finding someone to help specifically neurodiverse folks like us. So if you have never tried to look for a therapist before, the first part will be especially useful for you. If you have uh, worked with therapists in the past, you may want to skip forward a little bit. Throughout the episode, I'm mostly referring to mental health professionals when I say therapist, but most of these guidelines apply to most medical professionals or coaches that you might choose to work with. This is not medical advice, this is just my opinion. So take it with a grain of salt as you usually should. So for some basics about therapy, the first thing that I think is most important is to make sure that any therapist you are considering has the required credentials for their field. They should be licensed in your state. If you're in the United States, you should look into the legal requirements if you're in a different country. But in the United States, they need to be licensed in your state. Uh, They should have gone to school for what they're doing or have training of some kind. And they should work with the kind of situation you're dealing with. So if you need financial therapy, you don't go to a therapist who specializes in substance abuse, for example. So you wanna be at least targeting your search to the right group of people. This can be really overwhelming because there are so many different fields and so many different kinds of therapists around, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But one way to narrow it down is you can use an advocacy website to help you find a therapist who's familiar with the kind of therapy that you need. So there's a searchable database from the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration, which is a good place to start if you're in the United States. You can Google that or I'll put a link in the transcript. There are also advocacy groups for specific concerns, like the National Alliance on Mental Illness or the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. So you can find something based on your specific neurodivergence or diagnosis, if you prefer, um, and work through that. Then you're at least finding professionals who have worked or who say they work with your specific issues or if there's a type of therapy you're interested in trying specifically there are professional societies like for example the National Association of Cognitive Behavioral Therapists who can help you find therapists who have that specialized training i do also usually recommend checking online reviews for medical professionals, but they aren't the be all end all. So just be aware. They can help you avoid someone who's really not very good at their job, but remember that all experience is subjective and one bad review might just indicate a poor fit rather than the reality of what that therapist is capable of providing. So be aware, you know, check the reviews, but um, remember that the experience of therapy is subjective. Um, The second thing I want to say is outside of those very basic, you know, is your person trained, is your person licensed, the first thing you're looking for is fit, fit first. Finding someone that you trust and have a rapport with and click with is probably the most important part of finding a therapist based on the research on good therapy outcomes. In my personal experience, it's also the hardest part of finding someone to work with is finding good fit. It doesn't matter how many degrees they have or how much experience the person has. If you don't feel like they hear what you're saying or you don't like the way they approach the world, you will not be able to integrate their teachings into your life. They won't do you any good. I want to read you a quote. The therapeutic relationship is as powerful, if not more powerful than the particular treatment method a therapist is using. This is from University of Scranton professor John C. Norcross, who is a PhD and the chair of the American Psychological Association Task Force on Evidence-Based Relationships and Responsiveness. He says we now know that some of these therapeutic elements not only predict but probably cause improvement, he says. This means that based on the science we have on therapy outcomes the evidence we have on therapy outcomes who you are working with and how you work with them how your communication is how you talk together how you function together as a in a partnership with your therapist may be more important than the actual kind of therapy you are choosing to do that's a huge claim and i think it's really important and so in many cases A good relationship between you and your therapist may be worth more than any other metric. And so it is something I really recommend prioritizing in your search. It is hard. It can be really difficult to find somebody who's a right fit, but it can be very, very, very worth it in terms of your personal therapeutic outcome. One way to assess fit before going in and spending money on somebody is to try to do a free screening. Most therapists and other mental health professionals will offer a 15 or 30-minute meeting in person or by phone or Skype. And this can give you a feel for what the person is like, let you ask any questions you have ahead of time, see whether you feel like you're going to get along, and that can be really important. And most therapists will offer an initial 15 or 30-minute kind of screening call for free. So that can be really, really valuable. And then my last sort of general advice for um, what you should be looking for when you're looking for a therapist is that um, you want your therapist to be using evidence-based therapies. So these are, ideally, you are looking to be working with someone who is using a scientific approach and an evidence-based approach. Now there are literally hundreds or maybe even thousands of different kinds of therapeutic approaches and some of these are backed by evidence from medical studies, but a lot of them are not. So It's just good to talk about this before you go in. Check with your therapist about which approaches they use the most often, whether they're familiar with any evidence-based therapies and how often they use those therapies. Because sometimes they'll say they're familiar with something evidence-based like say CBT, but they can't remember the last time they actually used it. So that might be something you would like to know. Now I do just want to say this is general advice um, because What therapy you want depends completely on who you are as a person, your personal mental health journey, your goals. If you're not sure whether one therapeutic method you're interested in is evidence-based, you can uh, start your research with the American Psychological Association, which is a great place to just get some groundwork. That said... I do just want to make clear that a lot of therapies have not been studied much because there isn't a lot of money behind behind different kinds of therapy like there is with different kinds of pharmaceutical interventions, for example. So it is important to keep an open mind and see how something sounds to you. Do you understand the approach your therapist is taking? Do you agree with underlying philosophy of the approach. If something sounds reasonable to you, do your research, see what you think. There might not be evidence behind it, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work. It just means that it hasn't been studied. So evidence-based is best if you're not sure, but if you feel comfortable with your therapist, and you've been working with them for a while, and you really think something will help you, just because there's not evidence behind it doesn't necessarily mean it's like a bad therapy, okay? I'd also just say that we do have some evidence that certain therapies that work well for neurotypical people can be ineffective or even harmful for certain types of neurodivergent people. And since most research studies are not necessarily asking questions about whether their population is neurotypical or neurodivergent and are probably favoring neurotypical people in their study pool it's hard to apply the research we do have to us neurodivergent people as a group so again just because research exists that makes a claim doesn't necessarily mean it applies to you as an individual person right research is about groups it's not always applicable to the individual so make your best judgment based on the information you have but that's really all we can do at this point This is, again, another really important reason that you're looking for fit first, because we know that fit is more important than the specific therapeutical intervention, and we also know that if you can trust your therapist, the person you're working with, and you feel like you have good communication, you share the same values, then you will be more likely to be able to talk to them about any kind of intervention they're considering that you might not feel has good evidence behind it, and that communication is really definitely very important. Quick story about an experience that I had. Um, When my son was diagnosed autistic, he was two and a half years old, and we were referred to an occupational therapist within the same health system uh, that did his evaluation. And the occupational therapist we were sort of assigned was nice enough and good enough with him and well-educated, but I found that she didn't communicate very well, and we often didn't know why she was doing the therapies she was doing. She also recommended a certain kind of therapy that I couldn't find any information about online for autism. And I asked her lots of questions, but I couldn't get her to give me any sources or further information about this type of therapy, which didn't sit well with me. I felt like the therapist and I just wanted different things out of the treatment. I called around and I got my son on a couple of other wait lists for occupational therapy, and we ended up with the therapist that we have now at a different office, and the second occupational therapist ended up being such a better fit for us that we've been seeing her for maybe five years now when you add together both of my children's therapy periods. So it's been a couple of years of knowing her pretty well, and I have to say the experience between our first occupational therapist and our second has been night and day. Our second uh, OT is so much more outgoing. She answers all of my questions thoroughly. She takes the time to really hear what I'm saying, what my son is saying, what my daughter is saying, and really thinking through what we need as individual people. Um, She provides outside resources or more context or more thorough explanations of what she's doing and why. And I also think she honestly treats my children better overall. Our first OT was not a mean person, and... You know, it was very easy to talk to and pretty nice, but she didn't really seem to understand autism at a visceral level, like at a gut level. I don't know if she was just relatively new to clinical practice and sort of just needed more years of experience behind her, but also it seemed like she was really stuck on the idea that autism is a terrible diagnosis to have and that there's only so much a therapy can do and all that kind of kind of sad rhetoric around being autistic but our second therapist had clearly worked with so many different kinds of brains and she's ADHD herself and there was never this sort of set expectation when I was talking to her that there were limits to what I could do or my kids could do because of our different brains. Between my two children we tried a lot of different therapies together and the second OT was always a partner to me and my kids. My experience with her really solidified how much fit matters. I was willing to try things that were much more based on her own experience rather than scientific evidence because we had built the occupational therapy plan together. We definitely had the same goals and I trusted her experience because she did such a good job communicating with me. That is the difference a good fit makes. And that's why I want to push it for you so hard is that good fit is really, really, really the most important thing you can be looking for. A couple of other really basic must-haves for a therapist before we go into specifically looking at neurodivergent therapy. A good therapist should have a confidentiality plan and should help you find the best fit for you, even if it's not them. A good therapist knows that you will meet with other medical professionals or health professionals to support you, and your therapist will not be everything. If they're trying to be everything, they might not have your best interests at heart. A therapist should also be really good at setting boundaries and upholding them. This is good for you and for them. If they can't do it, that is a red flag for sure. If they're defensive, they won't answer your questions, they won't stray from a pre-designed course of therapy when things change, then they're not a good fit for you. You need someone who will work with you as an individual and be flexible and actually help you as you move towards your goals. You're looking for a partner to work with, not an authority figure to tell you what to do. And you should have goals. You shouldn't just be sitting in therapy chatting away for an hour. I mean, it's happened sometimes. It's not a terrible idea for your therapist to be caught up on what's going on in your life. But if you're in therapy for a specific reason, like depression, anxiety, addiction, whatever it might be, your therapy should include a plan for getting you to your goals with specific steps and specific hallmarks that you're striving to reach. If you feel like you're just in therapy meandering, then you're probably not approaching your goal and you should be talking to your therapist about why that might be. So now I'd like to talk a little bit about finding a therapist as someone who's neurodivergent. I specifically am autistic. Um, I have also helped... My ADHD family members find therapists um, and friends with depression and anxiety find therapists. I've also obviously worked with occupational therapists, speech therapists, and kind of a broader understanding of therapy. So this is what my experience is and this is what I'm speaking from, just so you're aware. But as someone with autism myself, um, I think it's really important first and foremost to ask questions when you're looking for someone to work with as a neurodivergent person. You need to ask questions. In my experience, most therapists who don't specifically work with, for example, autistic people don't have a great understanding of autism. This is especially true for me as a woman with autism. Um, People especially don't have great understandings of the way that women with autism, non-binary people with autism, the different kinds of issues we have. As opposed to men with autism. So if you're autistic and considering therapy of any kind, my first and best recommendation is to ask your autistic friends or your local autistic support groups, or check out social media and see if anyone has a recommendation for someone near you who works specifically with autistic folks and who is liked by the autistic community. See if you can find someone who specifically states that they're autism friendly. And then, just because they say they're autism friendly doesn't mean they actually are, unfortunately. It just depends on how they were trained and how much research they still do, whether they're still active in educating themselves about autism, especially if they're not autistic themselves. So this is where that 15 or 30 minute initial meeting comes in and really can help. When you go to that meeting, you need to be asking them things like how many autistic people have they actually worked with? Or what kinds of things generally do they work on? How are they trained? What do they think about neurodiversity as a philosophy? Are they thinking about autism as a disease in the disease medical model? Or are they thinking about it as a kind of brain um, that different approaches can be more helpful than with neurotypical brains what do they think about applied behavioral therapy these are some things that you can kind of just with questions kind of get a sense of where the therapist is coming from so sit down before you go to that meeting and think or even before you really start your research think of some issues that are especially important to you personally that you have had problems with in the past and ask your therapist their opinion before you even kind of sign up for therapy with them. This gives you a really good understanding of their background, their blind spots, or maybe some problematic issues before you start paying for therapy and spending a lot of intensive time trying to do the work. You know, knowing that somebody is not actually autism-friendly is going to be really helpful to you ahead of time. So... And this is the same for if you're ADHD, if you're dealing with depression, if you're bipolar, whatever it is, if you, you want to make sure you fit is the most important, but ideally someone who has worked with your specific issue in a way that is respectful of you as an individual and of you as a neurodivergent person. That's what you want, right? I also just want to say. There are plenty of therapists who maybe don't know to build themselves as autism friendly and maybe haven't ever worked with an autistic person before, but will still be totally fantastic therapists for you as an individual. So again, these are screening tools that you can use to weed out people who are bad fits, but... Just because someone says they've never worked with an autistic person before, if you are willing to try with them and they seem like a good fit in all other ways, then you go for it. You know, that fit is really, really important. And I have worked with neurotypical therapists who've given me good things to work on as well. So again, these are not reasons to not work with somebody who you think might be a good fit for you. These are ways to assess fit initially when you're first getting to know the person. Okay. So looking for blind spots, looking for problems that might come up in the future. Um, And I do want to say that just because a therapist says something problematic doesn't mean you can't work with them. If you like the person... And you feel like you might have a good rapport. You can also ask them, why did they say that problematic thing? Sometimes it's just a lack of education. And if the person takes you on as a client, they will, they will further educate themselves. Um, again, it depends on the therapist. You got to talk to them about it. But sometimes you can talk it out or ask them to research it further and come back. I still think that that fit and that kind of emotional stress is the most important thing. All right. I also just want to say that depending on what you're working on, I do want to mention that coaching can be a really good option for a lot of neurodiverse folks. Full disclosure, I'm a life coach, and you can find more about that on the website if you're interested in working with me. Coaches work more with skill building, so therapists can also do that. But most therapists focus more on mental health concerns, or they have a specific, highly specialized field that they work in, like an occupational therapist or a speech therapist, to go back to my old standbys. So if you have depression, anxiety, you're newly autistic, and you're trying to figure out what triggers you, these are things that mental health therapists can be really, really helpful with. But if your issue is executive functioning skills, or if you have a learning disability like dyslexia or dyscalculia, then coaches are where it's at. Coaches have all kinds of specialties, just like mental health professionals. We have very different training than therapists, but we are often more specialized in our clientele and have more specific training about certain issues and are often neurodiverse ourselves. There are tons, for example, there are tons of ADHD executive functioning coaches who are themselves ADHD, and so they know what's going to work with ADHD brains because they're ADHD themselves, and they work just with ADHD people, and they can further specialize to only work with ADHD kids or only work with ADHD adults. There are plenty of autistic coaches who specifically help autistic people. Um, There are plenty of sensory processing disorder type of people out there and so on and so forth. So all I want to say is that if you are looking more for skill building, I think a lot of neurodiverse folks have trouble building skills uh, because what we need is so different than what neurotypical people need. If you listen to my interview with Catherine last week or two weeks ago, um, you'll know that uh, the way that a lot of autistic and ADHD people build up skills like keeping your house clean, skills like communicating with people, with strangers and people you don't know. The way we build these skills is completely different than neurotypical people. Um, so, if you're going to a, a mental health professional with social anxiety, it may be also true that going to a coach to help you build social skills will help with your anxiety. So, these are things to consider. And there are some fantastic coaches out there who are very highly specialized. So definitely look at that too if you're somebody who's considering what kind of uh, professional help you need okay that's the end of this episode today thank you for tuning in with me i want to let you know that i have one more episode coming out on january 14th which is an interview from sally who runs the neurodiverse clothing line nd renegade that's a great interview i'm looking forward to you hearing it then i'm going to be taking a couple of months on hiatus we are coming back i am taking the time to work on the website write new scripts create new content for you so please if you haven't yet sign up for my mailing list on neurodiverging.com or for the patreon to make sure you're notified when the podcast comes back and to hear about any articles that i publish in the meantime thank you so much for joining me on neurodiverging today please remember your community is here for you we're all in this together